joy going to uh, Emily's folks' house. I don't get to go there as often as I would like to. They We usually go down there, or I usually show up uh, once a year about Christmas time, and they live on Lookout Mountain, uh, Georgia, which is a great place. I love to go there. It's beautiful up there in the backyard. They have a creek that runs through Rock Creek, and so you can open up the windows. You can hear the water rushing over uh, the rocks. It's a great place. And then really the thing that's fun about being there is that her mom loves to take care of us. I mean, am I right? I mean, she feeds us all the time, and she wants to make sure that you know that you're never that your cup's never uh, empty. And so it's it's a it's a lot of fun. And then Emily has family uh, that lives like they all live to they live on like this compound. And, you know, it's Tennessee, Georgia. Y'all know how that is. Uh, and uh, y'all heard of David Koresh? That's their family. Uh, so uh, anyway, so they have this like compound thing that's there. And her one of her cousins loves. He's got the latest greatest. Uh, uh, camera is always supposed to take a bunch of pictures. So when the family gets together and there's a bunch of people there, he's we've always going to have the group photo. Isn't that a joy? Uh, the big group photo. And so he, we all sit down, and you know he uh, he wants to take pictures, and he puts it on timer. But it's, but it's really hard for there to be a really good picture because when there's that many people, there's always somebody you know that's got you know the, the eye that's shut and the other one that's open. You know that just looks you know it looks terrible. And then usually Dick is the guy that takes a picture, and you'll see him running, trying to get back in time because he puts it on timer. And so you got a picture of Dick, you know, running. So it just it's it's hard to get a good family photo. And as I thought about that, I began to realize, you know, whenever you talk about the the photo or the picture of the church, in a lot of ways, it's very difficult for us to have a good picture of the church. And trying to explain to people that are outside of the church, you know, the, the greatness of it and the great people. And, they, and then they might actually come and then you're like, oh, that's not as good of a picture as I wanted them to see. And the reason why is because when you have people, uh, there are people who are messed up. And the more people that you have, there, the more opportunities for somebody to have one eye open and one eye shut. And so it can be difficult to even get a good picture of really who the church is and what the church is about. Well, today we're continuing our study in the book of Ephesians, and it's my hope that as we look in our passage of Scripture today, that we're going to see that it's possible for there to be a good portrait of of the church, to give the community outside of here an idea of what the church is about, of who the church is. And so uh, that's my goal for us today. And so if you have your Bible, you can look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, And in just a few moments, we're going to look in verse number 7. And in our text today, what we're going to see is Paul sharing with us some things that we can focus on as a church in order to give off a good picture of really who the church is. And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 7 in just a few moments. But I, I want to say this. I know I say this pretty often, but one thing that I like about Scripture is that the Bible really is is just a very honest book. Uh, so many times we can look into the Bible, or we can, we can look at ourselves and say, you know, I would really like to be, you know, a godly man. I'd really like to be a godly woman. I'd like to be a person who pursues Christ. But if that's going to happen, you know, I've got to live this perfect life. And it would be nice if we could do that. And, I, and God wants us to strive to honor him in everything that we do. But if you look in the Bible, you're going to find out that the people that are mentioned in Scripture are people that are just like you and me. I mean, the same junk that goes on today is the same junk that went on a couple thousand years ago. I mean, look at some of the great stalwarts of our faith. We have 
Peter. You know, Peter's the guy that walked on water. He's also the guy that went under it, but he's the guy that walked on water, which is water, which is really a neat thing. But if you look at his life, you see that he was the guy that vacillated a lot in his faith. I mean, sometimes he was for Jesus, and then other times he wasn't, and then he was for him, and he wasn't, and you know, just kept going back and forth. Uh, you look at Paul, the guy who wrote this book that we're looking at today. Y'all know what Paul, and he wrote most of the New Testament, but you know, remember what Paul did before he became a follower of Jesus? He killed Christians. You know, that's not, that's not good on your resume. And so that's one thing that he did. There was uh, David, King David, who's known as the, a man who, had, uh, who followed after God's own heart. And yet David, when you look at his life, he was a man who committed adultery. He was a man who also committed murder. I mean, those are not good things. And uh, not that, you know, it's always great to point this out, but I, I just, those things encourage me. You know, I'm just like, I'm so glad there's some guys in here that are just really messed up because it kind of gives me hope. And so you look in the Bible, and people are just like this all throughout Scripture. And in so many ways, uh, a lot of us have the similar problems that these people have. And so the big question is this. If we're all messed up like that, can we actually take a good picture you know, as a church? Can we give a good picture off to the world about who we are? And, and Paul shares with us some things that we can focus on so that we can give a good picture to people outside of a relationship with God. Man, the best thing in the world is to know Jesus. So, so what are some things that we can focus on for a good picture? And the very first thing I want you to see is if there's going to be a good picture, your focus has to be on a photographer. You, know, you, have, to, you have to pay attention and focus on the photographer. Now, look with me in verse number, let's see, verse 7. It says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. For it says, When he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity. He gave gifts to people. Now, what, what, but what does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? And the one who descended is the same as the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, the idea here is that, that the Messiah has the ability to complete us. He has the ability to fill our lives with all things, what we need to, to move through this life. And so if we're going to take a good picture and represent Christ as a church, then our focus needs to be on the one who can fill us with all good things. Uh, we all know that if there's going to be a good picture, one thing, the one person you have to look at is you have to look at the guy who's holding the camera. Now, who's the one that's holding the camera for us? It's Jesus. That's why Jesus says if, if you're going to go through this life and honor God, he said, I want you to focus and put your attention on me. Um, a couple of years ago, our church, we did our very first church directory. Um, how, many, how many of y'all are actually in our church directory? You actually took pictures. Okay, obviously we, we need to take another one. Uh, but if you, uh, if you know the, if you remember whenever you took pictures for the, the lady that set us up for that, she was, I, I think she was a war criminal. You know, you'd go in there and you'd sit on a stool. She was a nice lady, but you'd sit on a stool, and she would tell me, she's like, okay, now I want you to turn this way. And so I was like, okay. And she's like, now I want you to arch your back a little more, and then turn your head like this. And I was like waiting to do this. And so, you know, we're, I'm, you know you're all twisted and contorted. It felt absolutely not natural, right? It's totally unnatural. And I felt like I was playing a game of Twister, and she's getting ready to take my picture. I was like, I feel weird. And she said, believe me, after I take the picture, it's going to look pretty normal. 
And what was amazing is when I looked at the picture, it it kind of looked normal. And I was surprised because I felt horrible about it. Because I just wanted, you know, my, our natural instinct is kind of slump over. You don't look all that good. But she had me move in all these different positions. Well, if you're going to, if you're going to uh, live your life as God desires for you, there are going to be times when God calls you to, be, to put yourself in a position that seems really unnatural to you. You know, like Jesus tells us you're supposed to love your enemies. I mean, how natural is that? Not very. Uh, God tells us that we are to be filled with wisdom and, and grace and no unwholesome word is to proceed from our mouth. Uh, that is not natural. And so it feels contorted. It feels weird. But what I'm learning is that whenever I want to live according to my nature, it, it doesn't produce a whole lot of good things. I don't look all that good. And it's true for all of us. I mean, just think about what, what is natural for you to desire when you eat. And I don't care how you slice or how you cut it. Guys, ding-dongs and ho-hos for breakfast, they ain't healthy. You know, that, now that's our natural inclination, but that's, it's not good for us. Uh, it doesn't work out for us. Uh, what, what's, the, what's the best thing that we can think of whenever it, whenever it comes to, you know, how we're, going to, how we're going to treat people, especially when people have wronged us? Well, in our nature, it's to get a pound of flesh. Because that feels natural. But it doesn't give off the best picture that God desires for us. When it comes to how we're going to spend our time, most of us would like to sit down in front of a television and play Xbox all day. But, you know, that seems natural for a lot of us. But, you know, sedentary lifestyle, doctors have said that it's not good for us. So the things that are natural to us aren't always best. And that's why the scripture says this in Proverbs 14:12. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Seems natural to me. How does that pan out? Well, it leads to death. Now, that's not what I'm looking for in the way that I live my life. I don't want to live my life in such a way that it ultimately, the big goal for me is that, you know, you're obliterated. I, I want something more than that. That's why Jesus, when he came, he said in John 10.10, he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You see, God desires for us to take a good picture. So how does it happen? Well, if you look at verse number 7, Paul tells us that God has given his grace to each one of us. They might say, why do I need grace? You know, I think I'm doing pretty good on my own. Well, if you go back to Ephesians 2.3, which is what we, 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 I discussed a couple of weeks ago, it says we are by nature objects of God's wrath. We need, we need God's grace because it's in our nature to rebel against God. And again, if you don't believe me, the only thing you have to do is look at your children, right? I mean, your children, it is in their, is it, parents, is it in the nature of your children to do everything that you tell them to do? Absolutely not. Because they are devil children. Now, that is not, that's not what children do in their nature. So we all need grace. We need the grace of God. Now, does God's grace, is it extended to everybody like this, where God will transform our lives? And the answer to that question is interesting. It's no. no. Not at all. Now, it's available to everyone, but it doesn't extend to everyone. Uh, last week, we saw that that in order to come under God's grace, that we have to believe in one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism. 
We have to put our confidence and our trust in Christ. And whenever we do that, we fall under God's grace. And then God does something incredible. He gifts us. He gives us gifts. Now, before we get too excited, we're not talking about monetary gifts. We're not talking about cars. Talking about the talents and gifts God gives us that demonstrates that we truly belong to him. Now, what kind of gifts does God give us? In Romans 12, 4 through 8, this is for every believer. God gifts every one of his believers. Now, this is a small list of some of the gifts that God gives. Romans 12, 4 through 8 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's given, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Now, what happens if we utilize the gifts that God gives us? And this is what's interesting. You know what happens? We give a picture of God to our world. As you utilize your giftedness and your service to God, you give a picture, not of you. People, people should not be going, man, he is a really gifted guy. People should look at him and say, you know, I see the power of God at work through him. Let me tell you something. The last thing people need to see is more of me. They need to see Jesus. The last thing our world needs to see is more of us as individuals. They need to see God working through us. Now, who is this God that we serve? Why would we want to serve him? He is the God who forgives. He is the God who redeems. He is the God who can take the ashes of our lives. Guys, let me tell you something. I've talked to a whole bunch of you. Some of you, your life is in the ash heap. But our God has the ability to take the ashes of your life and put you back together again. And so that's why Jesus says, I want you, I want you to take a good picture. Because I want people to see me. And if we're going to take a good picture, then our focus has to be the photographer. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing as well. The second thing for the church to focus on for a good picture is the leaders that God gives the church. Now, so I'm not saying that leaders are perfect, that pastors are perfect, they never mess up. Let me tell you something. People are people. I'm, I, am a, I, am a, I am a people just like you, okay? But look what he says in verse number, verse number 11. It says, And he personally, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. I'm going to read verse 12 too. It says, For the training of the saints and the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. If you want to know what the job description is of the leaders of the church, it's right here. Verses 11 and 12. Our job, he gives a description of, of who the officers are in the church and what they're supposed to do. Now, how can we focus on the photographer if the photographer is no longer here? Uh, we know Jesus was here, died on a cross, he rose from the grave, and then what did Jesus do after he rose from the grave? He ascended back into heaven. So, in the flesh, Jesus is no longer here in the flesh. Now, what he did is he said, I will work through people in order to lead the church in my absence. Now, who are these people? Well, if you look in verse number 11, he shares who the leaders are that he gave to the church. He said he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. The question is, who are these people? Well, they are the stewards of the church who are to help the church 
you know, like pose for a good picture so that the world will see Jesus. Now, what I want us to do at this point, just two things. First of all, I want us to examine the offices that are mentioned who of the people, the leaders in the church. And then the second thing I want us to do is to say, who are these people? You know, what do these people do? I mean, are they still in the church today? Okay, so we're going to start off with who are these people? Or what are the offices? First of all, God says, or Paul said, that God gave us some to be apostles in the church. Y'all have heard the word apostle? The word apostle means sent out. Uh, what, very simply, it means people who are sent out to go into the community to tell other people about Jesus. There's a lot of people who are sent out. As a matter of fact, all Christians are sent out to, to share their faith. Uh, we are all sent out to give a demonstration of who God is. That's, does that mean that we are all apostles? Well, I mean, you, say, you could say in one sense that we are, but in this sense, it's an ex, to be an apostle is an extraordinary gifting. Um, and one of the things that had to happen to be an apostle like Paul was an apostle when he speaks here is that you had to have been with Jesus, like physically. Um, so that's, that's pretty specific. Um, nobody in this room today has physically been with Jesus, okay? Uh, so that's one thing that's interesting. Now, Paul was not with Jesus. He was not one of the original apostles. But something happened to Paul um, whenever, you know, he used to kill Christians, as I said earlier, and he's on his way to Damascus. There's a blinding light that came, and y'all remember who uh, revealed himself to Paul? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus did. And so he talked to Paul, said, Paul, you basically, uh, you need to start following after me. And that's why Paul was able to write in 1 Corinthians 9.1. Paul said, am I not an apostle? And he said, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? This established his credential that he was an apostle. He had been with Jesus. But apostles also had been given the gifts of performing miracles. Uh, in the book of Acts, let's see, Acts 5.12 says the apostles performed many miraculous signs. And we're not talking about miraculous signs. I mean, the gifts of healing. Uh, like people that, it would be like somebody being in a wheelchair. I'm not that they didn't have wheelchairs then. But people like laying down on a pallet, never walked before. An apostle would come up to them. And like, like Peter and John did with one guy, he said, you need to get up. Which would be very cruel. You know, if nothing was going to happen. He said, get up. In the name of Jesus, what happened? They got up. Now, I have never seen that. I think it would be cool. But I've never seen that. So this, the apostle, is an extraordinary gifting. Now, the question some people have is, do we still have apostles today? And there's a lot of debate on this. And we're not going to get involved in that. Um, you know, I'm not, as far as this kind of an apostle who had been with Jesus, I still believe miracles take place. But as far as the one who's physically been with Jesus, I would say no. Um, apostles sent out, yeah. I mean, there's people that are sent out. We all are. So that, that, that's one office in the church, apostles. Uh, the, another office he mentions in the church is prophets. Y'all heard of prophets before? Not with an F. You know, prophets and laws. Not talking about that. Talking about prophets with a PH. Okay, prophets were guys who who spoke the words of God. Guys who were able to foretell the future. A lot of debate about whether or not we still have prophets in the church today. I'm not sure, um, but I do think it was a special gifting. Um, I, I always get a little bit nervous when somebody says they're speaking for Jesus because then they are saying the words of Jesus because they're saying that what I'm saying is infallible. I, I have a problem with that. Uh, it makes me a little bit nervous. I don't think men um, are gifted in that way. But prophets in the Scripture, we've not always had this book. And so prophets came and they spoke words from God. And a lot of the stuff right here in this book come from what prophets have said. Does it have value for our lives? 
Still instructs us today. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, this is an office of extraordinary gifting. Okay, this, So there's two offices there. You say, I don't know anybody in the church like this. Let me tell you about a couple of offices where I do know people like this in the church. Where we see it evidence today. He, the next one is evangelists. You all heard of evangelists before? Evangelists, uh, the word evangel, is, it's, a, it's a messenger. Someone who talks about God, but one who has a special gifting that when he speaks, that people, man, they respond to the message of Jesus. The greatest evangelist that I can think of in my lifetime is Billy Graham. You all know Billy Graham? Uh, incredible. guy. He'll talk and have this real simple message. He'll speak, and, and just like thousands, a few years ago, I went up to uh, the Carolina up the Carolina Panther Stadium. I don't know what they call it anymore. But it was at Carolina Panther Stadium, sitting there. Thousands of people get up at the end of the service and walk forward and say, we want to know Jesus. You know, I mean, it's like amazing. Nobody else, nobody else can do that. Now, how does that happen? It's because, because God gifted him to do this. Now, in our church, do we have evangelists? We, we do. We have people who are able to speak with others, and they respond. They respond to the message of Jesus. We have people who are able to speak the message of Jesus, and, and their friends become follower of God. They're very sensitive to the message that these people give. And so that's just really cool to me. And then with another group of people that God has gifted and given to the church as leaders are pastors, teachers. And I put them together because in the original language, pastor and teacher was meant to go together. Now, this is one that is easy for us to identify in the church because that's, that's one of the roles that I have. I'm, I'm calling you a pastor. Okay, now what does pastor mean? It means shepherd. Now, the question is, what's a shepherd supposed to do? Well, think about a shepherd. A shepherd takes care of, yeah, sheep. Now, if he takes care of sheep, what is, how does he take care of sheep? What's important for him to have? Food, water, shelter. Yeah, that's what, that's what, a, that's what a, now that's not, that's speaking metaphorically. My job's not to make sure that y'all have food to eat, literally. And, uh, you know, have, are you thirsty? Let me go get that for you. Uh, what it's talking about is me to, uh, the pastor's role is to feed people God's word. To give them scripture. Now, is it because he's just like an amazing guy? Well, yes, of course. Uh, no, the reason why is because the message is what's amazing. The message of Jesus is powerful. The Bible is so important for pastors to teach because this is the best source that we have on Jesus. And we say and believe that this book, these words, come from God. Therefore, it is to, to instruct our lives. Therefore, the role of a pastor is to teach God's word. Now, over the years, I've had people ask me, I say, what do you do? What do you do for a living? Like, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor, and I've told you before that usually is a conversation killer. Oh, good, bye. You know, they're just like out. I say, well, I'm, I'm a pastor now. But the other uh, response to that is, you're a pastor, really? Yeah. They go, well, okay, so you do that on Sunday, but what do you do the rest of the week? What's your other job? And I always want to say, well, I'm a dancer. Uh, but I just, thought, you know, I don't think that would, I don't think that would go over. You've heard of the Chippendales, yeah. Uh, I've never thought that'd go over very well, but uh, but yeah, I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, I actually, I, I do that as a part of my other job as well. Like, what in the world do you do? Well, you know, my my main priority in the church, and this is this is me, and, and my my main priority, I believe, is to teach this book, uh, to teach this word, and to do the best that I can with it as God as God has enabled me to. 
uh, the majority of my time, I, I sit over there in the, in the house, and I, I study. Uh, you typically, on, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I do my studying and, and finish up on Thursdays writing a sermon. Uh, that, so that's typically uh, how I, I deal with the message part of it. And then on Saturdays, I go into my bathroom and turn on the fan and go over my sermon to try to be prepared for you all. That's exciting, isn't it? Uh, so I do that. I have three, we have three kids, and so I, I turn on the fan so I can't hear anything. But it's, it's kind of an isolated area. Uh, but there's other things that we do during the week as well. I mean, I work with our staff. We, we, we pray. We ask God for vision about where we really believe God desires for our church to go. Uh, we, you know, right now we have construction going on, so every, um, every Monday morning I get to talk to Paul Deemer, Deemer who's our, our general contractor, and I know I drive him crazy. And so there's just other things that go on with the church. We do budgets and, and things of that nature. But my main responsibility is to teach this word, the pastor-teacher. Now, I'm not the only teacher-pastor in this church. Uh, we, have, we have small group facilitators in our church. We have, we have teachers right, teaching right now is going on over in, in Team Kid and over in Segway. And, and, and your small group leaders also, also are involved in teaching. What are they teaching? They are to teach this book because this book leads to life. Now, if we are not injecting our lives with the message from this book, guys, let me tell you something. Your life's going to get out of whack. You're going to be in trouble. Let me try to give you an example. And I, and I don't share this a ton, but uh, many of you know that my, my pancreas does not work well. As a matter of fact, I, I think it's a piece of garbage, so it does not work well. And because of that, um, I have problems controlling my blood sugar. And so I have, to, I, have to take ins- I have to inject insulin into my body. Now, I do that because it regulates me and... Uh, it, you know, it takes care of me. Now, if I don't, if I don't inject it into my body, I can get in trouble. Yeah, I, I, and it can be very damaging to my body. So I have to make sure that I have a steady regimen of injecting myself with insulin. Now, why am I telling you all that? So that you'll feel sorry for me. But the other reason is because I, I really believe that the same thing is true with God's Word. I believe that if, if we are not injecting God's Word into our lives, guys, we physically, spiritually, mentally... We will be a wreck. It will destroy our lives if we are not feeding ourselves this book, the Word of God. Now, some people say, "Well, I'm just going. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to. I'm a moral guy. I'm going to follow my heart, do all those things." Let me tell you something about your heart and my heart. It is black as coal. Jeremiah seventeen nine says that the heart is deceitful. It is wicked and beyond cure. That ain't good. Okay, so don't say I'm just going to follow my heart. And your heart ain't—it's not worth following. It is deceitful above all things, and that's why it's important that we have leaders in the church, shepherds in the church, to teach Scripture. So, so how do we take a good picture? We focus on the photographer, focus on the leaders who are supposed to teach God's word. And it's the last thing, and I'll be brief here. We are to focus on our purpose. We have to know a purpose. Now, I'm going to read the final four verses, five verses, verse 12 through 16. Uh, let's go to 13 instead. It says, and we're supposed to be taught, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ, from him, the whole body, fitted and knitted together with every supporting ligament, promotes the growth, we're talking about growth a lot here, of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Uh, the goal of every believer is to mature. 
And uh, the way that you mature is you begin to discover your role, your part in life. Uh, when I was a little kid, I, got, I, get, I get fixated on stuff real easy. And I, when I was a kid, I saw a Sears truck. And I became fixated with Sears trucks. And my purpose, I thought, in life was to be a truck driver for Sears. Um, and I, that, I'm serious. I hung on that one for a while. And then I, I moved on to uh, I wanted to play, you know, uh, baseball and then football. And my dad was like, you need to have a plan like B, C, and D. Um, after that, because he was like, what do you want to do? I'll be a professional baseball player. Well, if that didn't work out, what do you want to be? Football. Oh, not good. And so I, so I, but the, I hopefully I matured a little bit. As I got older, I began to sense God calling me to be involved in ministry. And so I, just, I, I didn't understand it. But then when I sensed that calling, I, I began to prepare for it, went to, went to school for it. I began to talk to other people who were in ministry and to seek their advice, to seek their wisdom, to ask them to pray for me. But I wanted to know my purpose. Now, Village Church, we are to know our purpose, our calling. And, and I think we make it really difficult a lot of times. We have this, I'm supposed to do this, you know, right here for the rest of my life. Let me tell you something very simple. I can tell you your base, the basic calling and purpose for each every, and every one of us in this room today. It is to know Jesus and to live for Jesus. You want to know what your purpose is? Don't get so bogged down that you're looking for a specific vocation. I think it's great to seek those things out. But never forget the primary calling of your life is very simple. It is to know Jesus and to live for Jesus. It's not to know about Jesus. It's to know Jesus. Jesus gives us a hint of this when he said in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them. It's not talking about having a knowledge of their names. It means to know them intimately. Now, how do you get to know somebody? You spend time with them. How do we spend time with Jesus? This book. If you want to know the heart of God, read Scripture. Uh, you want God to know your heart? Talk to Him as you pray. You want God to know you? Then corporately we need to come together to worship Him. And what does God desire for us? Is to know Him. To be like Him. That's, that's, that's our purpose. And we must never lose our focus. That is our purpose. To be like Jesus. Uh, we're told in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we who with unveiled faces all, it says, reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Now, a choice has to be made by us. Are we going to live for Jesus, or are we going to live for ourselves? What we try to do is we try to straddle that fence. I'm going to do both. Guys, if we want to be effective and give a good picture, you can't do both. It's one or the other. And this is true. This is me, too. I'm talking to me. I've heard a story about Luciano Pavarotti, the only opera singer that I know about. Um, and uh, well, it was a kind of interesting story that I read about him. He said when he was a kid, his dad introduced him to music and loved music. His dad was a baker. His dad got him a, a, a great teacher to teach him music. He loved music. He wanted to sing, but he also wanted to be a teacher. And after he graduated, he said, Dad, should I be a teacher or should I be a musician? Here's what his dad said. His dad said, Luciano, if you try to sit on two chairs, he said, you will fall between them. He said, in life. You must choose one chair. Pavarotti said, I chose one chair. He said, it took seven years of study and frustration before I made my first professional appearance as a singer. He said, it took another seven years before I ever made it to the Metropolitan Opera. He said, now, I think whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, he said, whatever we choose, we should give ourselves to it. Commitment is the key. We must commit to one chair. And I thought about that and said, if we're going to give a good picture, we have to quit trying to sit in two different chairs. 
me or God? We choose one. And if we're going to give a good picture to our community of who we are, we choose Jesus. Because if we don't, we fall between the two. And if our community is going to see Jesus, it will happen through us as God works through us. Now, now how do we give a good picture? We focus on the photographer. Never take our eyes off Jesus. Focus on the leaders, because leaders, our job is to teach this word. And then we place our focus on our purpose, which is to know Jesus and to be like him.